Welcome to Good Business, a weekly podcast to help you create a business that is good for people, planet, and the profit line. Hi, I'm Chris Edwards. I'm a serial entrepreneur. You may know me from my first business, Honeycombers, which is a digital lifestyle guide, providing you with everything you need to know to enjoy your local city. We operate in Singapore, Hong Kong, and Bali, and this year we're in our 15th year of operation. Or perhaps you know me as the founder of Launchpad, a community movement designed to support entrepreneurs who aspire to create conscious companies. On this podcast, we're going to explore the ups and downs of the entrepreneurial ride and understand how successful and clever innovators and business leaders bring people, planet and profit together to build better businesses. So what does it take to create a heart-led business? Join me and together we're going to learn how to create a good business. Before we do, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that I am recording this podcast on, Bundjalung Country. And I pay my respects to the elders past and present, and I extend my respects to all traditional cultures. All right, let's get into it. So for my first guest, I tapped on the shoulder of Andrew Dixon, who is the CEO of Nikoi Island, a place I love, which is a luxury property based in Indonesia, just a stone's throw from Singapore. If you haven't been there, put it on your list. Andrew talks about how he approaches sustainability, how he gets buy-in from all levels of his team, and most importantly and most inspiring for me was how his goal is to be more than 100% sustainable. I really love that idea. Whilst Andrew is very humble, this chat is highly inspiring and I'm sure is going to make you want to visit this tiny little beautiful tropical island and think hard about whether you have baked into your business impact goals that really make your business a good business. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Chris. Yeah, thank you for having me. You're so welcome. Um, so let's start with you call yourself the accidental hotelier. Um, how did how did this accident happen? <laughs> okay. Um, well, that was uh, that label was penned by a journalist who, um, having heard my story, um, described me as an accidental hotelier, and I quite liked it, so it stuck. Um, uh, yeah, I arrived in Singapore as in, in banking and finance, and um, we we're always looking for somewhere to get out of Singapore on the weekends, and came across this area. Um, east coast of Bintan and yeah I was quite taken by the whole area got chatting to a guy who'd done something in the area and um, yeah we started going looking for islands to buy and um, we came across Nikoi and at that stage I was just thinking of getting a group of us together and it'd be like a holiday house we'd have you know you'd have in Australia but a real shack and we weren't planning on doing anything very elaborate with it at all um, got a few friends that signed up to the idea, um, as crazy as it was. And, um, then when we found Nikoi is a bit bigger than, than what we were, what I was really thinking about in terms of money and, and time and effort. But, um, uh, we thought it was, you know, an opportunity not to be missed. So we, I found a few more friends and so we, we bought it and, um, yeah, started developing it. And the first days we camped on it. So we had some, some pretty crazy weekends camping there and um, some funny stories that came out of that. So, yeah, it's all been a bit of a journey. That sounds like a very fun way to start a business, to fall in love with a piece of paradise. And one thing I find really interesting is 
you know, in in the world of crazy rich Asians and, and particularly, you know, Singapore loves all the bells and whistles, you know, it's a real Robinson Crusoe experience. Um, you know, it's simple. It's really barefoot luxury. How, how did you manage to sell that? Like what was the strategy to get people to, to really buy into a, a very, I suppose, pared back experience? Yeah, it's interesting because in the early days, in those camping days, um, I had a invited a marketing and branding friend to come over and uh, we had a, a fireside chat and, uh, you know, the, the two of them, one was a branding guy and one was a marketing guy and they were, you know, determined that we needed to have a USP and, um, and you know, my thinking was, well, you know, we build something interesting, people will come. I said, no, you need to have a USP. Um, and, you know, eventually we sort of got through that and I think the USP was that we were we were a private island and we were an escape out of Singapore and we were everything that wasn't crazy rich Asians, I guess. Um, we were that escape and that's that was something that I'd been looking for and I figured that, you know, maybe there, was, there are other people that, that were also interested in, in, in just getting back to nature and getting to something that was a bit more simple. So, yeah. So were you your own target audience? Was that you had yourself in mind? <laughs> in a way, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I was not a hotelier, so my only reference point was I had to go back to think about the experiences that I enjoyed when I stayed at a hotel and what was important to me. And I figured that, that there'd be enough other people, well, I hope there would be enough other people like me or looking for the same sort of experience and that's what I sort of that's been always my go-to think about where I would what I would want out of it and I become the the customer um, as well as the the business owner and think about it that perspective try and put your feet in the shoes of your customer yeah yeah it makes a lot of sense um, and tell me, in the early um, in the early years, what were the biggest challenges? I could imagine there's just such a big learning curve. I mean, it's a whole industry you've never been in, but it's not just a hotel. It's you know, on an island that has you know what it was nothing there on the island, right? No, nothing. Yeah, we didn't. We were told there was a well. We couldn't even find the well and stuff. <laughs> so, um, yeah, a lot of lot of logistics, and even going back in those camping days, you know, we realised that it was a logistic challenge just to to even do a camping trip there. Um, but yeah, gradually we took it bit by bit, and um, we had a um, a guy on the ground who had some experience, so he um, he was sort of led us through. Um, we had great. Some great support in, in locally, um, some that made it difficult. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's a logistics headache just from day one. Yeah. And did you get any good advice? Like, did any advice that comes that came to you in the first couple of years stick? Yeah, most said, "Don't do it." <laughs> Didn't listen to that one. <laughs> no. And you were doing this whilst you still had a full time job, right? So this was like, you know. On the side initially? Yeah. Well, like I was, you know, I was not there managing the project. We had someone on the ground doing that. Um, but I was certainly going over there whenever I could and um, and I spent a lot of time Singapore sourcing any sort of more technical stuff that we were looking for. Um, and I like to research on how we could 
build it um, sustainably. And, um, you know, I was interested in from early on how we could do that. And so I'd spent a lot of time on that. But, yeah, I was working full time. I, I, I was lucky. I was in a position where my job was sort of winding down and so I had a bit of time up my sleeve. So, um, yeah, I guess they didn't know that but I did. <laughs> so. so you put it to good use. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to talk about your sustainable journey because, you know, I suppose you were um, really uh, building something from a sustainable basis like a long time ago in terms of the, you know, the world we live in today, um, you know, from the very beginning, you you um, invested in making the property out of recycled materials and it was first driftwood and then bamboo. Um, so where did this desire to make it as sustainable as, as possible, uh, where did this desire come from? Um, well, when you're on an island, to start with, you want to try and be sustainable. It's probably the best place to start being sustainable because it's just so much more complicated from those logistics, um, those, those logistics challenges, and just operating. You, you want to be that in any case. But I guess being immersed in nature, you know, we we also wanted to have a positive impact, um, and and so we didn't want to be having. You know, we saw the the value in the property being pristine. Um, and trying to to even help restore it was what we were focused on. So, uh, you know, it, it it was naturally in those circumstances you you want to or you need to be or you should be sustainable. It just made sense. So I don't think that you know I, I'm certainly no visionary in terms of going down that route. We we were you know it was driven a bit more out of necessity. That's that was the. That was the way to do it. You didn't want to be bringing marble in from Italy to to build a beach resort on an island, so in Indonesia. It's funny you say that, but you know, so many resorts around Asia do have you know their marble from Italy. So you know, it's logical to you, but um, you know, it, it really is quite a remarkable property, and um, I've been there many times, and I, I personally love it. I have so many good memories there. Like it really is a very special place um, and I think it it is special because it is so, um, I suppose, uh, simple and uh, clever, you know, like the design of the the um, accommodation is all incredibly well thought through and, and clever in the materials and also the layout and, yeah, I mean, it, we went with young children and the kids just really loved it more than anything else because they really got the sense of adventure and, and the Robinson Crusoe experience, right? So it's 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 amazing that what you have created out of necessity because you didn't want to be importing marble from Italy is your USB. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, you, you nailed it. And then you know we we've got we had young kids when we were doing this, so we grew up with them seeing their engagement with the property. You know, back to the, my son was four when we first went over. They encamped, and my daughter was six, and so they they were immersed in that experience. And so, so the, the things they got out of it, even at those early those early camping experiences, were things that we then sort of parlayed into, you know, experiences for our guests. And um, and so we, you know, it's been a journey through that. We didn't have all the answers to start with. We just been working through them, I guess. And did you have any major challenges? Like what are some of the biggest hurdles you've had to overcome? 
Um, I guess, uh, you know, it's not easy. There's a lot of business um, or government regulations in, in Indonesia which make it challenging um, place to work. Um, fortunately, we've had some good people on our team that have been able to help navigate us through some of that. Um, and that can be frustrating because, you know, we we had good intentions from the outset and um, we were always keen to employ people um, locally and, and build and engage them. And it just can be a bit frustrating sometimes. You'd like to do things, you'd like things to be a little bit easier than they are. I can sort of see it from Indonesia's perspective. They don't want to be overrun by foreigners and, and you know, it, but it was it has been challenging some of that navigating and understanding the you know some of the rules it's it's the, the whole legal framework's quite different and the um, property titles are all quite different to what we're used to so getting a head around all of that um, is challenging so many times you're having to trust people um, more so than we might in uh, in our more Western way of thinking. And um, fortunately, we've been able to trust the right people, so we've we've come through. And so, getting your head around some of that stuff's been a, a, a challenge, to be honest. Mm, yeah, I can only imagine. I have a registered business in Indonesia for Honeycombers Bali, and whenever I tell people I have a, a registered Indonesian company, they're just like, "Really." <laughs> Um, you've done that? And I'm like, yes, I know. I had no idea what I was getting into. But it's like you get um, you get membership to a, a club of understanding of this, you know, it's just a different world. Um, and, and as you say, you can totally understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to, you know, protect what they've got. But it is, yeah, it's pretty complex. And you definitely need a really good team of locals. Yeah, we've been very lucky on that. Yeah, so we'll, we'll definitely talk about that. I wanted to ask you just um, uh, back to the, the sustainability chat, just around there's a community you talk about called The Long Run. Um, I'd love to know a bit more about this community and, and how, they've, how they've shaped you and your thinking and tell us about it. Yeah, uh, it's a group of about 40 properties around the world. Um, hospitality businesses or hotel resorts, whatever you want to call them. We're all very different. Um, I've just come back from our annual general meeting and we first time we've been able to do it in three years. It's a great way to share ideas and knowledge and showcase what each other's been doing, both successes and failures. Everyone's very open to showing off things that haven't worked, you know, and um, we learn from each other. Above that, there's a framework that they've developed called the four C's, and that's uh, the four C's are community, culture, conservation, and commerce. And the idea is you're trying to get all those four C's. It's it's like there are other models, but this one works well in in sustainability. I guess the the one that's new in that list is probably the culture one. Um, You don't necessarily see that when people talk about um, other other models, other frameworks, but it works really well in the in the hospitality um, sector. And uh, yeah, I'm a very we're very proud members of it. Um, I've got a lot out of it. We were invited to join it in 2012 or 13 or something, and we've just Nikoi has just become their highest one of their highest level. There's 10, 10 of us that are in that 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 level. We've gone through a you know formal audit with external. Um, um, review or auditor to to, um, to check all of our our sustainability 
claims. And that was a process in itself. Uh, and we found, but, it, you know, one of the things that the, the group's very focused on is that you're not going to be at the top to start with. It's going to take you a while. It's a journey. And I think that is how uh, it should be looked at. You know, you people try to say they're going to be um, 100% sustainable from day one and, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, not, it's not something you can achieve straight away. In fact, it's a funny thing. I was asked by a journalist um, whether we were 100% sustainable and I had to think, well, that's a silly question. That's a funny one to ask. Um, but because you'll never be 100%, you know, you could never be there. And, and then I thought about it a bit more, actually, we'd probably want to be above 100% um, where we're actually having a positive impact. And, and you know, in many aspects, I think we, we're getting there. There's still things that we'd like to do better. But I think there'll always be things that want to be doing better um, throughout that journey. And this is the, the long runs helped me and our team sort of work out how do we focus on aspects that, you know, that we need to. And whereas before we were a bit scattergun on the way we went about it, this framework has helped us um, define what we should tackle first. Mm, yeah, it sounds fantastic. We've just started to journey into the B Corp um, certification process. Oh, it's huge. Oh, yeah. 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 I've looked at it. Yeah. We started to look at doing that. And I think it's in, it, you know, we already had the long run membership and we thought it was a bit of a duplication for us. But yeah, I could see it, it looks like it's, it's well thought out and um, it's very similar in terms of its sort of thinking. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I'm kind of a, uh, a mixed bag of emotions about it. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy that it's the right thing to do. I'm scared because it's going to be a lot of work and quite hard. And it's obviously not designed for small business, but I'm also really excited by the challenge of um, making me and my business level up, you know, in a, in a really good way. So um, yeah, it's big though. <laughs> um, and the long run sounds just like a similar kind of format, which is awesome because, yeah, as you say, it's so hard to know, you know, where to start. Um, so having a framework really uh, helps. And also, you know, I'm a big advocate of community and business. So it's it's awesome that you found that community that's so specialised to, to what you do and has the same values as what you hold, right? I want to know, how did you educate your customers about sustainability? Because I presume you need the people who visit um, your properties to share the same values or understand why you were doing things the way you were doing them so that they appreciate it. So was there an education process there? Um, well, firstly, we've not really ever tried to sell sustainability. Um, I want to sell a, an island destination that, that people will enjoy as an experience. You know, going back to that, that looking at myself as a customer, that's what I value. We probably could have been better at this in terms of talking through our guests, but I also haven't wanted to be labelled as a as a an eco retreat that you know because people often then get confused and think that's um, they're having to give up something to come and stay with us, and I don't want that. I actually think that you can look at sustainability in that it's going to add value and add 
add to the experience rather than take away. Um, and so I'm always a little bit careful about talking too much about um, certainly when we're selling the product that, that we're sustainable or um, environmentally friendly. It, I know it's coming a bit more to the fore now, but certainly in the past, um, people often would shy away from it. And, you know, they're the ones that we sort of want to get in and and um, and learn from staying there that it's it's a great experience and can be a great experience. It doesn't have to be a negative experience. That's how some people look at it. And the one thing that people get scared about about coming and staying with us is that we don't have aircon in the rooms, yet we're charging a price that, you know, is like a five-star hotel in Singapore and people sort of can't understand that. But then when they've stayed there and realise actually it's really comfortable and they're blankets on the beds because you get cold at night so yeah can i think seeing is a is is believing i guess what i and that's how we can educate people we've got to get them there in the first place <laughs> but that hasn't been a big problem for you i mean uh you're at 90 occupancy um i presume it's a lot of word of mouth because it's quite a unique experience has that been the core strategy yeah yeah, and that's why getting back to focusing on trying to make sure the guest has a great experience because they go back and tell their friends and, you know, they might all those so say you wouldn't believe it was great, it was so sustainable on what they were doing. And and that's that's when we've really made the connection, right? Um, and now we'll take, you know, if they're interested, we'll take people on tours around um, uh, back of house and showcase some of the stuff that we're doing there talk a bit more about it but we could probably do it better but um we need to tread that balance yeah it's a bit of a fine line yeah but i think that one of the things i remember very early on because i the first time i stayed there was uh 2008 so it must have been like pretty pretty early (laughs) and i remember you know it doesn't sound unusual now but having refillable soap containers in the rooms right but back then I was like oh that's different you know whereas now that's pretty standard but I presume there's little things like that and I also imagine people would freak out a bit about not having bottled water um uh we've always used glass bottles and not um plastic so since 2007 when we first opened up but that's never been a challenge to be honest I think people accepted that um you know we were putting clean water into the into those bottles and managing that yeah that's not been an issue to be honest no don't get me started on that (laughs) (laughs) this podcast is brought to you by launchpad a community movement for conscious entrepreneurs if you're seeking a sounding board advice masterclasses or maybe just looking for a network of people that are in your corner to support you come to the launchpad.group website and check it out we'd love to meet you let me ask you something else. Uh, I read that your staff now come to you with uh, sustainable ideas on how you can improve. How did you get your staff to buy in and understand the importance uh, and really live the values that, that you have about what the properties, you know, what, what you're trying to create? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, it's a good question because for a long time I felt that I was the one sort of trying to ram this stuff, this message down to our staff. And I talk about the four C's and it was sort of blank faces and, and um, you know, how is this going to help us? Um, we started a, 
program. I think I might have learned it even from one of the other long run members of um, trying to ingrain the thinking at, at, a, at a lower level. And we introduced a program we call Green Leaders, which was to try or invite someone from each department to um, nominate themselves to be a green leader for their department, their team. We didn't want the senior person, we want someone right at the bottom that was going to show some leadership or learn and, and, and want to grow with the business. And that's and then I said to them, you know, sat them all down and, and, and chatted to them what my thinking was around this and, um, and they were very receptive. I said, look, it doesn't have to be, um, uh, you, there's no, I'm not giving you a budget. You can, you can come back to me with ideas and proposals. You guys collate the best ones amongst yourselves. It doesn't have to be front of house stuff. It can be back of house as well. You know, it can be in your staff dormitories. If you want to see some improvements there, um, and particularly if they're, you know, there's the stuff that are going to, um, it's going to help from a sustainability perspective. Um, and we went through those four C's. You can help address those. Then, you know, I'll look at approving it. And um, they started then getting together. Um, to discuss their better ideas, and yeah, we've I think without fail we've put them put them through um, or proved them. So, but a lot, of, a lot of the times there've been little things that um, empowering them to 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 do it's it's allowed them to see some changes, and I guess that's the that that gets people excited um, and interested. And now that a lot of them are taking some of the concepts and things that we're doing back to their own families, and that's that's really powerful. Mm, wow! And what what? Give us some examples of of some ideas that they've had or that they're taking home to their families. Oh, it can be just as simple as sort of what to do around waste management. Um, you know, sorting out your plastics and and um, composting and um, things like that. None of it's terribly complicated. It's just understanding it. And seeing it in practice makes it easier for people to do. Mm, that's pretty. That's pretty amazing. That's very inspiring that you can be creating change on a bigger level outside of, you know, the the world you are responsible for. And the other thing I wanted to just touch on is the Island Foundation. Can you share with us a little bit about this and how it's managed and and what you've been able to do with the Island Foundation? So actually, we've now set up three different foundations um, or helped set up three different foundations. Um, the Island Foundation is the first one we did that was focused on education um, and it, um, uh, we now have 11 learning centres where we teach um, a curriculum that we've um, developed or we've had some help developing um, called Learning for Sustainability and this is done outside of the school um, national curriculum and um, it, uh, it's fantastic. It's really, you know, kids turn up, they, they don't have to pay for this, but it, it, it's done after school. And attendance rates are fantastic. It was the only form of education through the pandemic because schools were closed. Um, we converted it to a, a home learning system. So they took home paper materials and they could work at home, study at home. Um, and enrolments went um, up 50% during the pandemic. Um, because of there was the only form of education for, for some of these kids. And we teach, we do teacher training workshops where we get 100 teachers together. They're now accredited by the um, Ministry of Education, so they get continuing education points for, for doing that, which helps boost their salaries, so we get good attendance of those. And that's trying to then 
um, better educate those teachers so that they're passing that on to, you know, a wider thing. We get teachers from schools, you know, some of them travel 24 hours to get to us um, to attend those. They're, they're quite popular. Um, we only do three or four of those a year, but um, they're, they're good. And then the other thing that's pretty powerful that we often don't really talk about is that we've been we're developing a team that have that have become teachers in our in our learning centres, and they're really becoming important leaders in their own communities because they're you know teachers are empowering them with the skills and learning through the programs that we've set up has has helped to elevate their positions in the communities. And some of them, you know, one guy in particular, he was a he was a street kid, and it's fantastic he's now seen as an important person in his in his community um, so that's that's stuff that's been pretty exciting then the other two foundations were set up was help set up was one was collaboration with a group called seven clean seas which we collected uh, where our staff collected 300 tons of plastic during the pandemic and were paid a wage for doing it and then we've also helped um, set up a foundation that does work on marine conservation um, and we've just had a Marine protected area gazetted around um, the whole east coast of Bintan. Oh wow, wow! Sorry, say that number again. How much plastic did you guys collect? Three hundred tons. Whoa! Wow. Fifteen million plastic bottles, the equivalent of. Oh wow! So our staff have come back to work, and um, the the group um, Seven Clean Seas now are hiring locals. Um, largely from informal waste pickers before. So people that were not really earning much of an income but just getting by by collecting waste because it doesn't have much value, um, they weren't getting much money for it. But now they get paid a wage and so um, they've got form of employment, which is, which is exciting for them. And they've developed a waste uh, materials sorting facility to, um, to try and reduce how much goes to landfill. Yeah, right. Right. And was this part of the strategy of how you survived COVID by employing your staff? Yeah. And, mate, we did quite a bit of maintenance as well. But, yeah, during we were closed for two years. Wow. Wow. That's that's a long time in a business just to have zero revenues, right? Yeah. Was that pretty stressful? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Understatement of the century, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how did you how did you cope? How did you cope with the stress yourself? Like what did you do? Um look, I've got a great bunch of partners, um, co-investors, and um they've been, yeah, hugely supportive. And having that that reduced the um the amount of stress on me significantly. So yeah. Um having that behind you all the time was um made a huge difference i don't i I, you know if you didn't have that i would i you know would have been really really tough so because then you're starting to look for more desperate solutions to to help fund and finance going forward so and and were you able to keep all your staff on yeah we had uh we had to let go um some staff that were temporary in contract um because by law we, we furloughed our staff and reduced the shifts that they worked but then tried to find other sources of employment like the beach cleanups. Um, we did we brought forward some maintenance work and so we would hire staff that were free to work on that. Um, so they worked to reduce shifts, they got a reduced salary um, but some of them were able to complement it and nearly get um, to where they were 
otherwise. Um, so, yeah, we kept all our permanent stuff. So we had over 200 permanent stuff and kept them all on through the, through the pandemic, which was, a, you know, now in hindsight a fantastic decision because it's meant that we were able to restart very quickly, very easily, um, and we have very few. We lost very few staff um, that resigned and went elsewhere. It was just difficult for them to find jobs in alternative places. So it was it was pretty powerful when we started up. A few staff that came and personally sort of thanked me, and that was yeah quite touching. So and um, I imagine that it changes the culture a little bit, right? Like this relationship that you've got with your employees has changed, I suppose, I, I presume, um, because of that commitment. Um, we always had a pretty strong culture in that sense and I don't know that it changed enormously but it probably it probably strengthened it, yeah, and it was the, very much a team effort and, um, and building that back up again um, I think has helped strengthen the teamwork. What we've tried to focus on is staff working across departments to help while we're building it up. And that's been really powerful. So I I, I think we've come out of it a better place, Um, although we wouldn't go through it again. (laughs) No, I know. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, It was such a scary time. Just the not knowing, I think, was the hardest thing I had a real trouble with. I'm just like, just if someone could just tell me when this is going to be over, I'll be okay. But not knowing, it was something else. Yeah, it was very frustrating Frustrating in that sense. It was, um, and particularly around hospitality where, you know, governments were making decisions around um, hospitality businesses without the sort of lead time that we really need to 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 make um, to be able to run our business and to start up again. I mean, you know, we were it was like turning it. They treated it like turning on a light, and turning it off again. It doesn't really work like that. You know, it's very easy to sit where I am and be critical. I think you know, governments generally have done a pretty good job keeping most of us pretty safe. So yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent agree, and. Just going back to the culture, so I'd, I'd love to know what's your view on how to create great culture? Like, I mean, you said it was already pretty good before the pandemic. So what have you done to create a great culture? Um, we were lucky we hired some really good staff to start with. Um, but I think also um, looking after staff. I mean, you know, in the hospitality industry, I think generally doesn't look after their staff very well. And they're wondering now why they're, they're having trouble hiring people back after the pandemic. You know, I think it's important. We've got to look after them. It's our most important asset. Um, you know, we can build an amazing building, but without the service standards, it, it's, it doesn't work. So, yeah, I come back to looking after staff. It's important. And rewarding them, you know. Um, I remember early on someone said to me, why are you bothering training these people? I said, well, you know, if I, because he, he said, well, they'll leave you. And I said, well, the worst thing is that, <laughs> is that um, I don't train them and they stay with me. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> you know, so we put a lot of effort into staff training, um, and doing it in a fun way that's interesting, you know, and we bring people to Singapore and, 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 and get them to, to see different experiences that open their eyes. They haven't travelled before and they're excited. I've sent staff to um, other long-run properties 
So we have a bit of a, an exchange of, of stuff and they come back really empowered because they've, they've learned something, um, seen something in a different picture and they just wouldn't have had that experience otherwise. And so throwing them into those sort of situations or training them and, and, and putting them into new situations, moving them from around different departments so you keep them fresh and opening their eyes to different opportunities, I think it's important. Okay, so now I'm going to just jump into some rapid-fire questions. Um, what brings you joy? Ah, oh, friends and family. Do you have any mantras that you live by? Do you have any little sayings that you, you continue to roll over in your head? Uh, keep it simple. Yeah, I like that. Tell me, um, do you believe luck favours the open mind or fortune favours the bold? Oh, probably both. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, cool. Um, what does community mean to you and your business? Oh, a lot, yeah. Okay, I'll tell you a good short little story if you've got time. That a few years ago, one of our senior staff came up to me and he said uh, that someone in the local village had said to him, uh, wow, you must work for an amazing company if they're prepared to invest so much in the local community. And, you know, he was telling this to me with a tear in his eye. And, uh, you know, I was like, that was really touching. Um, it blew me away. Yeah. And so those little bits you take away and you realise that um, we now have the community coming and asking us to help them with things rather than the other way around. And that's, that's when you know you're starting to have a positive impact. Yeah, that's awesome. There's a trust. You know, they want some help and so we, you know, if we can, we will. So. I think you've answered my next rapid-fire question, but I'll throw it to you anyway. What does good business mean to you? Uh, having a positive impact, yeah, and and not just in the community, but it's in around conservation, it's around culture. So it's all those four C's, and you know, it's that we're a um, we're a sustainable business because we're producing um, profits. You know, you, the best sustainable business you'll find is the most profitable one because they'll be able to reinvest in those other aspects, and so. You know, I'm 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 an entrepreneur. We're out to make some money. I'm out to get a return. We are endeavouring to be a profitable business because that means that we stay around for the, the long term. Yeah, um, it's important. Yeah, yeah, and I think people overlook that. You know, and it's it's not just about us making um, making money. It's about our other stakeholders. So it's looking after our suppliers. Um, it's helping build that relationship, helping build their businesses, and we've had some great successes there. And we've got, they look after us way better than they look after anyone else because we've helped set them up. Um, and so those relationships become really strong. Mm, I love that. I love that. Um, do you have a favourite business book or a po- favourite business podcast besides this one, obviously? Um, <laughs> do you have any, do you have any um, business books that you've read that really helped you um, along the way? Yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, what would Google, I'm trying to see if I've got it on my, on my desk, what would Google do? Um, uh, I've now escaped me who wrote it, um, but it's quite old now. But it helped me sort of think about it, um, our business in the modern tech world. Great. Okay, I'm going to read that one. Um, and my last question, the community that I run called Launchpad, we have a saying and we believe a rising tide floats all boats. So I'd love to know... Do you have an entrepreneur that we should invite onto this podcast? Do you have someone that would be interesting that you'd like to hear speak with me about good business? There's a woman called Siu Hoon who um, is a travel journalist, but she runs a, um, 
uh, a um, trade show or a um, you know a trade event called Web and Travel in Singapore, and um, she's interviewed me, so it'd be nice to see the other way around. But she's done some great things in the way she runs um, her her um, events and um, sustainability. She sees as an important part of that. And, um, yeah, I think she's, yeah, very dynamic, well-connected, and she's, she's interesting to um, question. <laughs> awesome. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you, Andrew. That was just delightful. I, um, I've actually just enjoyed spending 40 minutes thinking about Nikoi because it's such a beautiful place in the world and to get under the skin of it has been an absolute joy. Um, one of the reasons I was so keen to talk to you is I think you have really been um, I suppose someone that has been on the sustainable journey more than a lot of us and it's been something that's been part of your DNA and your approach and it's very admirable. So thank you for inspiring me and, um, yeah, thank you for your time today. Very kind, Chris. Um, yeah, I'm not sure quite how I can come back and thank you because you've done so much for helping promote us. So thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. Cheers. Okay, so three things I learnt from this chat. Firstly, why don't we aim to be more than 100% sustainable? I love that idea. Two, we need to get everyone on board, no matter what level they are in the business, and that really can be done through empowerment. And finally, why being sustainable doesn't actually need to be high in your brand positioning or marketing messaging, but it's more about your own personal impact, values, and really the satisfaction you get from having a really positive impact on the world. Thank you for listening to Good Business. Okay, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Selfishly, I created this podcast for my own personal growth. I really wanted to spend an hour with these amazing entrepreneurs that really inspire me. Of course, I also created it for you, our listeners, and the wider community at Launchpad, where we're a group of entrepreneurs all trying, or aspiring rather, to create better businesses together. If you enjoyed this episode, or if you have any feedback, suggestions, or just want to reach out, please do. I'd love to hear from you. You can catch me on email at chris at thehoneycombers.com or go to the launchpad.group website and check it out. Thanks for listening and I hope you leave as inspired as I am to create your own good business.